Open your Bibles to Psalm 19 uh, this morning. Psalm 19. Today is October 19th, so we're going to read Psalm 19. This is uh, well something you'll want to remember several weeks from now whenever we, we get into the, the teeth of Romans chapter 1. Because after the introduction that Paul makes about himself and uh, giving thanks to the church or for the church and how he wanted to come to them, that's what's coming next. And then um, the theme verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And then he talks about how uh, human beings are truth suppressors, they're naturally, uh, hopelessly self-righteous, so moralists are condemned in chapter 2, and then there's a universal condemnation. Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. And so we're getting ready to, to go through all of the different aspects of, uh, of why we need uh, the righteousness of God. And it starts with how God reveals himself to mankind. Um, and he does that to everyone, whether there's a gospel witness or whether there's not. Um, the reason the, the, the man in the middle of the jungle of uh, South America can't stand before God on the day of judgment and point his finger at the Lord and say, you never sent me a missionary, uh, therefore I'm not guilty. God will say, did I not give you a witness um, in creation? Uh, you surely could tell. There's something wasn't great. Something out there that was greater than than you, and you realize that. The evidence that you realize that is because you worshipped something. You just didn't worship me. You worshipped a little creature, or you made a god in your own image. Or if you're sophisticated, like in the Western world, like we are here in America or in in Europe, you don't worship little animals or you know or little statues. You you worship other things that are more sophisticated, like education or or humanity, or the mind, or psychology, or whatever it might be. You, the bottom line is, you suppress the truth that God has declared on a regular basis. I am the Lord. I am God. I'm the creator, the power of the Godhead. Just look into the stars. Look at the sun. Look at the moon. Um, and our sin nature suppress all of that truth in our unrighteousness. Um, so that's the evidence. The evidence is the witness of God, and the evidence is that, that in our unrighteousness, we naturally suppress that. We don't seek God. There's none that seeks. Um, there's none that understand. They've all gone out of the way. That's how Paul will end that in, in Romans 3. And um, Psalm 19 is the Old Testament version, if you will, of... Uh, of Romans 1, or where Romans 1 gets some of its, its information. Psalm 19 is broken in two parts. It's a great psalm. You'll know the first part of it probably more than the second. Natural revelation and then special revelation. So Psalm 19, it is a psalm of David. Here's the natural revelation, how God reveals himself in nature. The heavens are telling the glory of God... And the expanse is declaring the works of his hands, or his handiwork. 
day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So in the day and in the night, there's, it's just continuous, a continuous telling of the glory of God and declaring these are the works of, of, of the Lord. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. There is a line that's gone throughout all of the earth and the utterances to the end of the world. And in them he's placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. And so the revelation of God is not in words, it's not in speech. You, you see it in, in the line that's gone through all of the earth. So... You wake up in the morning, the sun comes up, and it makes a line across the sky, and then it goes down and then does it again. And, then, and when the sun goes down, the moon comes up. So it's a, the idea, it's universal. Everybody sees it. It's continuous. There's a continuous witness of, of God, which is what he says in verse 6. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the others. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Not even a blind person can deny that there's a witness because they can feel the heat of the sun or the lack of the heat. And now in verse 7, after talking about natural revelation, he transitions to the Bible's special revelation. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord, all synonyms for, for the Bible, for Revelation. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So here it is, here's what it does, here it is, here's what it does. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, they're righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them... By the Bible, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Why do we need it? Who can discern his errors? Uh, Equip me of hidden faults. Uh, Without the Bible, I can't discern that I'm even a sinner or how deep my sin goes. And keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, things that I don't even, even aware of. Let them not rule over me. Let them not take hold. Then I will be blameless, and I should be acquitted of great transgression. And he ends with a prayer, our prayer. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let what comes out of my mouth that originates in my heart and my thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. May all of that be acceptable in your sight, not mine. Oh, Lord, notice it's in caps, covenant, God, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. What a tremendous song. Let's pray. Father, we're all here this morning because of you. You have made us. You are the creator. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the uncreated one. No one ever created you. You you were. You are. 
That's how you reveal yourself, the I am. And yet you, you made us, and so we bow before you and acknowledge that you are great, we are small. You invite us this morning, Lord, to acknowledge who you are, so we do. We got up this morning, we felt the coolness outside, we, we saw the, the large moon in the sky going down, and maybe even before we leave here this morning, the sun coming up, and Lord, as we see it today, as we are aware of all that, it's, it's a witness that reminds us that you are, you're the creator. Um, but Lord, there's even something more special for us, we... We don't just come to you this morning as creator. We come to you as men who have been transformed by the gospel of grace. Someone brought us the Bible. Someone taught us the Bible, which is your, your revelation. And, um, you, you taught us in that. You're, you're not just the creator, but you're our creator and that we're separated from you and how you sent a redeemer and saved us, came to us, covered us with your own righteousness. We, we praise you for that, Lord. And we gather this morning wanting to learn more of your word. It, your word converts and your word sanctifies. It's precious. It's, the study of it is more valuable than, than, than any money that we could gain or, or any food or the, the sweetest thing on the earth, the, most natural thing that's the sweet honey. We, we desire our hearts and what comes out of our mouths today to be pleasing in your sight. What we think about, what we say, what we do. We, we want to honor you. We are your slaves. We, we are your friends. We are your, your servants. We, we want you to use us. We offer ourselves this morning as a living sacrifice. and We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start with, uh, with a video, and um, sorry, my, my little alarm keeps going off here, there we go. Yeah, we're going to start with the video. We're going to be on uh, page, uh, not uh, 242, we're actually going to be on page uh, 251 this morning. If you need a Grace and Granite book... Um, Anybody need one this morning? If you do, Michael will bring one. All right, we got one right there. Mike, we'll get you one. We're going to be on page 251. And we're talking about the church. And so this little video is, uh, is, a, is really a promotion of, of some Bible study material that we don't have and I'm not promoting I haven't looked at it. It looks really, really good, the guys that are associated with it. But the intro talks about the church and, and um, how special the church is. And, and I would say if there is any um, doctrine that, that needs to be recovered in, in our day and age, I would say it's the doctrine about the church, ecclesiology. Um, ecclesiology is vital. There was a period of time where soteriology needed to needed to be recovered, and and that's happened. 
but now it's the doctrine of the of the church. So let's watch this video, and then we'll we'll get into reminder where we've been and where we're going this morning. Well, we have some sound. Voila. And it's not brick and mortar. So the church is really important, um, and so this study that we're, we're doing, we've been in it for several weeks now, is uh, which church is God's will for me? So it starts with John Anderson's, uh, God wants you to go to a church that's got the following non-negotiables, and we've been through all three of these, and we're going to drill down a little bit more on, on the, the third one. So number one... The church that God wants you to be a part of, a biblical church, God's voice is the only one heard in the church. Not the voice of the culture, not the voice of politics, not the voice of uh, a hipster giving you whatever is cool and trendy, not my opinion or anybody else, God's voice. Where do you find God's voice and God's voice alone? Now, obviously... God's voice has an accent, and we joked it's got a West Virginia accent here. It, God pours His Word through, through, a, through a man. So, 
Somebody has to study the word and then proclaim the word. So it's not, you know, God could have written it in the sky. He could have dropped, he could drop, say, gather together and I'll drop leaflets by angels out every morning and this is my voice. But, but he's, he's given us a text, the objective truth of God in the Bible, Revel, uh, Genesis through Revelation, and that's proclaimed. Christ ascended into heaven, even as we heard in Romans And he gave gifts, and those gifts were apostles and prophets that laid the foundation, and then evangelists and pastor teachers are taking over. And what what do they have to say? What they have to say is what this book says. So that's where you find God's voice, not in your head or promptings or anything else, but in in the, the book. So that's number one. You want to be in a church where God's voice is the only one heard, not one where God's voice is mingled with the voice of, of others. Almost everybody, every church, um, even bad ones, even Joel Osteen holds up his Bible, right? So everybody says they preach it. Everybody says, for the most part, I'm preaching what God says. But then listen to what they say. Are they actually telling you what the text says or are they using it you know, as an excuse to say what they want to say or, or a springboard and that's not just in liberal churches, that can be in independent fundamental Baptist churches where they open and they read a passage and then for the next 45 minutes you have no idea how that has anything to do with the passage. It's the King James Bible and soul winning and bus running and whatever, you know, politics, whatever it is. You want to be in a church that gives you God's voice on a regular basis. So that's number one. Number two... They're qualified men that lead the church. That's a non-negotiable. Um, you know, you used to not have to worry about the the man part there, but but that's growing in our in our culture. Um, the issue of women in ministry, um, but here it's it's the qualifications. That's that's the focus. One of the qualifications is is that the elders of the church are men. And so you have qualified men that lead the church, and we looked at what that, what that is. They're not self-appointed. Um, they're confirmed uh, by the, the other elders that, that are there. They're ultimately confirmed by the church, and the qualifications are, are given in Scripture. Um, and we even heard on, again, going back to Romans, how Paul emphasizes he's not a self-appointed apostle. He was appointed by by the Lord. Number three, kingdom membership is manifested in church membership. And so you want to be in a church where it's very clear. These are the people of God. These are the individuals that have been converted and that they're testifying of that and their lives match the word. Jesus is just not just my get out of hell free card. He's my Lord and my my, my life is not perfect, it's imperfect, but my desire is to submit to the Lordship of Christ, i.e. what the Bible says, and, and then I'm constantly bringing myself under that, under that word. And then the church makes it very evident. These are the, the members of the kingdom of God here in, in this local assembly, and you also know if, if you're not. And so you can put in that a number of things, one of which is what we did on Sunday night. I think you can put the ordinances under that idea of membership. Um, So we're practicing the ordinances and we're practicing baptism. So in baptism, 
You're watching a person declare, I am no longer in the world. I have been saved by Jesus Christ, and I've been brought into His kingdom, His church, and I am publicly proclaiming that to the other believer. So, so what's going on in baptism? There's a number of things. Obviously, the symbol or the picture, portrait of the gospel, uh, it's for them. You're hearing them declare um, publicly, I'm unashamed to be a follower of Christ. But they're also declaring to you, I am now a follower. And so now you have the responsibility in order to treat them in that way. You now have responsibilities to those individuals that were baptized to where you didn't have, that you didn't have certain responsibilities before they were baptized and brought into the church. It wasn't that you didn't have any. You know, we have the responsibility to share the gospel. We have the responsibility to love uh, every believer. You have the responsibility to, to do good to all, Galatians 10 tells us, especially the brethren. So it's not that, well, if they're not a member of the church, then we don't have any responsibility for them. You have certain biblical responsibilities, but now as a member of this body, you have distinct and specific responsibilities which includes watching over their souls, which includes the, um, you know, calling them out, discipling, and, and doing all of the other things that, you know, that are there. So within kingdom membership, we talked about the aspect of church discipline. Um, and that's what we're going to drill down on this morning. And we're going to do that because it's not something that's practiced often in our day and age, and there's usually a lot of questions about it. Um, so I would not say that church discipline is more important than hearing the voice of God in the church. It's not more important than, uh, than having quali a qualified eldership. Uh, it's not more important than the aspect of the ordinances, but we're drilling down on it because in our culture you don't see it practiced a lot. Or it, you may come from a context where you saw it practiced, but practiced unbiblically. So... Anybody that falls in sin, you know, gets drugged by the scruff of their neck in front of the church and saying, you know, confess or be out. Um, you've also hear uh, a lot of, of people um, not rail against it, that's the wrong word, but speak against it. Church discipline is unloving, it's judgmental, it's, it's, um, it's uh, it, the church is a, you know, is a, a hospital for, for sinners, not a hotel for saints. So, so why in the world would, would, you do, would you put sinners out of the church? Isn't that where sinners come? You know, so all of those things that, that you hear. And so in this study, uh, we'll talk about some object, objections, common objections to church discipline. We'll give the responses to those objections. Then we'll walk through the discipline process. We did a little bit last week, so some of that will be redundant. Then we'll talk about the purposes of church discipline. And then in the end, we'll get to situations that bring about uh, church discipline. Like, when do you do it? And why do you do it? What is there specific sins? And how do you deal with specific sins? And then we'll end with questions that you can anticipate. Um, should we distinguish between members and non-members? Uh, how do I treat someone in my own family who might have been disciplined out of the church? What happens if someone is disciplined out of the local church and, and they get restored somewhere else? They're disciplined out here and they go to another church. What do you do with that? Um, what about uh, defamation lawsuits? Um, 
Do we discipline teenagers that are living with their parents? Uh, we'll answer any other questions that, that you have, or we'll, we'll, we'll try to. So let's, that's where we're going. Let's look at page 251, corporate church discipline. Church discipline is necessary to protect the purity and the unity of the church. When we learn that the grace of the confrontation process results most often in repentance rather than disfellowship. That's really important. If you practice church discipline, biblically, the majority of the time it does not end with what you naturally think of or what the world naturally thinks of with church discipline. It doesn't naturally end with somebody brought before the church. The majority of the time, if you practice biblical church discipline, it ends with somebody repenting. Because discipline is not just the negative part. It's the, the confrontation part. It's the discipleship part. It's the speaking the truth to, to other people. So when you hear church discipline, you may naturally think, somebody brought before the congregation, but it starts way earlier than that. And the majority of the time, if you start way earlier than that and do it biblically, it's going to end with a believer correcting. Um, we must be concerned first with our personal holiness and then bear others each other's burdens. To love one another, we're called to speak the truth into their lives in the form of exhortation, encouragement, and admonishment, which is the corrective component. And then there's credit given to, um, to John for, for most of the content here coming from the pastoral team at Grace Community um, Church. So somebody open to Galatians 6... Um, one through five. Somebody else open to First Timothy five twenty. Who will do Galatians? Who will read Galatians? Thanks. Who will read First Timothy five twenty for me? Maybe willing to read that. Thank you. Uh, who will be really willing to read First Timothy six thirty uh, six thirty five six three through five? Thank you. Who would be willing to read Titus 2.15? Thank you. Who would be willing to read Titus 3.10-11? This is the last one. Thank you, Mark. Okay. Each of these passages have to do with church discipline. I chose them because you already know Matthew 18, and you probably already know 1 Corinthians 5, which is the immorality passage in the, in the church. But... You may not go to these passages first and relate it to church discipline. So here's a church discipline passage. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. So listen to Galatians 6, 1 through 5.
You. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches the word. Thank you. Thank you very much. Verses 1 through 5 is our church discipline passage. And it, and it starts with verse 1, he's speaking to Christians. He says, Brethren, if anyone is overtaken in a fault or caught in a trespass, so the picture there is a crouching lying in the weeds, and it, it pounces on, on you. You get waylaid by sin. Something sweeps you into, into brokenness, into being out of order, outside, out from under the Word of God. Then you who are spiritual, we don't have time to go in this, but he just qualified the ones who are spiritual in chapter 5. What's chapter 5 about? The fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. So those who have the fruit of the Spirit being born in their life. and So you who are spiritual, so you're either in the position of needing restored or you're one doing the restoring. And he says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one and tells us how to do it in the spirit of meekness or, or gentleness, considering yourself so that you will not be tempted. So the idea of restoring somebody who's out of order, somebody who's been waylaid by their sin, restoring them, the word is mending a net or resetting a bone, which if you've ever uh, had a bone reset that's broken, you know that's the, what has to happen or it's going to grow back crooked and be unuseful. You also know if you've ever been there and you've watched them manipulate it and put it back in place, it's... It's not a pleasant thing to either do or, or watch, but it's necessary. So that's the idea. Restore them to usefulness and restore them to usefulness so they won't be out of order or unuseful later or, or, or it get worse. And you do that in a spirit of gentleness, compassion, not sitting in a seat of condemnation, but realizing that you could, you could, be, you could be the one needing to be restored. And so when you realize that you're a sinner coming alongside another sinner and that sinner has just stepped in a bucket and the, this, the difference is that you haven't right now, but you might be the one in the bucket, then, then it, it's a, you do that in a, in a gentle way. Considering yourself so that you'll not be tempted. And verse 2 tells us what you're doing when you're doing that. We are to bear one another's burdens. And the word for burden there is a... It's specific. It means something too heavy for one person to carry. So there's a load that that person is carrying that's fallen on them because they've been waylaid by sin, and somebody else comes along and you help them bear that burden. And the way you're bearing that burden is you're coming to them and you're restoring them. You're, you're bringing the word to bear on their life, you're, and you're helping them bring themselves, remember our example, the Lordship of Christ, they're, they're out here under it, and you're coming alongside, and they're crushed under sin, and you're picking them up, and, and you're bringing them back under, the, back under the Word, and they're hearing you as you're doing that process. So, and you're bearing their burdens, and when you're doing that, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. This is, this is a good thing. 
that, that you're doing. And now he's going to talk about, go back to that temptation you know, part. Uh, four, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So that's, that's why you want to do it in a spirit of gentleness and considering yourself so that you won't be tempted. What can you be tempted by? Thinking that you're something whenever you're, you're nothing. And each one must examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to, you know, to another. For each will bear his own load. So bear one another's burdens, and each of you bear your own load. And that is a specific word as well. So the person to overtaken in sin in the church discipline process, again, wherever it is in that process, has been overtaken by sin, and it's too heavy for them to carry. And they're your brother. They're in your church. So you're bringing them back under the Word, helping them hear. You're doing that in the spirit of gentleness. You're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the spirit of the fruits in your life. And so you're doing that, love, joy, peace, all of those, those things. And you're, you're doing it and being aware that you could be there so you don't fall to the temptation that you're something whenever you're actually nothing. Um, and, uh, and this last one, as you're doing that, you're, you're, you're bearing your, your own load. So that, that word is a day pack of a soldier. So there is a load that you should be able to carry on your own. You know, the, the church is not there to... Uh, you know, to carry what you should be able to carry yourself. You shouldn't be a burden on the church. Um, if you are high maintenance in, in the spiritual process, it should be your desire to get out of that as soon as possible. So there, there is a certain level of weight that, that you should be able to carry. So two different words here. Somebody overtaken in sin can't carry anything. They can't even carry their day pack. So they need somebody to come along and help them in that, in that process. So there is one of the passages that have to do with church discipline, and you can see that it says nothing about putting them out of the church. It says nothing about bringing them before the congregation. So you're early on in the process. This is, this is normal. This is natural. This happens all the time at, at Timberlake. It's happened in my life. It's happened in your life probably. All right? Somebody read 1 Timothy 5, 20. 1 Timothy 5.20. All right. Read that for us again. Okay. Contextually here, this is talking about an elder... So don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those elders who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest, that's the rest of the, the, the congregation and the other elders, also will be fearful of, of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing with the spirit of partiality. Okay? So what's the first thing that you notice about verse 20? It's the first thing that it says. What type of person or what's this person doing? They're continuing in sin. That's exactly right. Which means they've been confronted, and it's an actual sin. 
So, so that verse 19, you don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And so you don't just listen to anything that anybody says about, about your elders or about your pastors. In fact, I think that you should be offended if somebody says something about your pastors or your elders of your church without basis. I mean, your first instinct should be, what basis do you have to make that accusation? You know, I mean, these are your shepherds. But it also says, if there's something substantiated, you don't go around blind thinking, well, that's God's anointed. We don't want to talk about God's anointed. If there's actual sin in their life, it's a loving thing for you to confront them and for you to bring that to others. And so there's the balance that's, that, that's there. And so this person who's Who's, their sin is brought out publicly, they've been confronted. It's been confirmed it's sin, and they're continuing in that sin. So this is not somebody who wants restored. This is somebody who's refusing to hear, like Matthew 18, right? And they're continuing. They're, they're refusing to repent. That person is to be rebuked publicly in the presence of everybody else. And what does that produce in the, the lives of other people? I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a sin serious. It's so serious that it doesn't matter whether you're an elder or whether you're not. God's going to deal with that. Um, and you obviously see this. Um, misapplied is too wimpy of a way to say it in our culture. Um, you see people that are in leadership, sin hidden, covered, nobody talks about it, and it's usually, uh, we don't want to bring reproach upon the name of Christ. So let's just kind of cover that. Somebody falls, a missionary falls, a pastor falls, uh, somebody high up in some radio ministry or whatever it is, and, and it's just kind of hush-hush, it's evident, it's happened, and they just, they just disappear. They get fired, or they, they go somewhere else. And the, usually the, they say, the, well, we don't want to air out the dirty laundry before, before the Lord. We don't want to bring reproach upon the name of Christ. That is ridiculous. The reproach of Christ is the sin <laughs> that the person didn't repent of. That's the re Christ has already been reproached by, by your sin. And now there's even more reproach on the name of Christ because you're covering that sin, and you're not doing it. You're not doing anything about it. Um, and then a lot of times that same person, you'll see them a year later, they'll disappear over here and they'll pop up somewhere else with a new book or, or a new church, i.e. Mark Driscoll, um, and any number of other names that you can, you know, that, that you can list. Ted Haggard, you probably don't remember him, but he was a, he was a guy that popular. Um, Baj Chavidjan's brother. Um, what was his name? Tulian. Uh, I think he started a church after he fell at, at, at Coral Ridge. Uh, point here, though, is this one is somebody who continues in sin, and they're rebuked. It's known, and everyone else realizes it insulates them. It helps insulate them. Let me tell you what. Whenever I go through the Lord's Supper... And I am brought to the point of searching my heart intentionally before I take this table. Or I'm sitting there and someone's name's read. Or I'm sitting in counseling. You all don't have the benefit of this. 
I walk away fearful. Um, what's going on in my life? I want to make sure that, that all of the, you know, all the lug nuts are tight. Um, because I don't want the, the wheel to come off. And my wheels can come off just like yours can. So that's the purpose. All right. Let's look at another one here. Uh, we can turn over to chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. That one's about somebody who's continuing in sin. All right, so here you have another dis, uh, church discipline passage. It's about the submission to the truth. And this is not directed at uh, a person um, like the elders. This is just if anyone. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with a doctrine conforming to godliness. And so now you have the standard with which everyone is, is, to, is to conform the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, i.e. the Bible. So now you have the Bible operating here. And then it gives a, an assessment of, of that person. So, so someone who is advocating something different than the Scriptures, they can be shown in the Scriptures, this is what the Bible says about them. They're conceited and they don't understand anything. They're, they're proud. I know more than the Bible. I know better than what that text says. Um, I have a different angle on it. I have a new way of looking at it. Now, they may sound really humble whenever they, they do it, but this is what the Bible says about anybody who preaches something contrary or believes something contrary to the revealed Scriptures. Um, he's conceited. He understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest, morbid self-interest. He's self-focused. He wants to be the, the point person in a controversy. People that like controversial questions and disputes about words. Um, people that like to argue all the time. You'll see them on YouTube or, or blogging a lot typically outside of the church, with, without any connection to the church, with no elders over them. They're just, they're an individual, um, kind of like a spiritual dingleberry hanging out there, doing their own thing. Um, and they, they usually fall into this category. Um, if you would take away them speaking against everybody else, in causing disputes, they wouldn't have a whole lot to say, would they? Um, look at what it says uh, that, that that produces, that kind of person produces in a church. Uh, disputes about words and out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of a depraved mind and deprived of, of, of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means to gain. 
a great game. Talking there, you know, about in, in, in typically false teachers, people that, that, that go want their own authority and they're operating under their own authority. They, they like to, to start disputes because that's what they're about. And this, this actually harms the church. It doesn't help the church. False teachers in that day usually were about money. And there are a lot of false teachers about money. But it doesn't have to be just money. The, the gain of notoriety, the gain of somebody listening to me, the gain of followers, the, the gain of I'm the one solving the problem. I've actually had people come here um, and they didn't stay, so I'm not talking about anybody you know, specifically in the church, but I've actually had people come and tell me that they have solved the, the problem definitively uh, between Calvinism and Arminianism, the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. I know people have debated that for thousands of years, but I've, I've solved it, and I, I can share with you how to reconcile all of that. Um, oh, well, um, you know, and what they expect me to say is, well, I'm all ears, tell me, you know, and I, I don't really have any desire to listen to that person. That person's arrogant. Think of what they're saying. You know, for, for 2,000 years, the, the church has been, has been working theological angles and writing about this, and, 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 you know, and now Joe Blow shows up in 2021, and he's figured all of it out. I mean, give me a break. Uh, people write books like that. Um, you, you watch, and you just to be careful. Um, a person like this, you don't want in the church. So a person who does these types of things, you're going to find you shouldn't listen to them. You shouldn't fall to a person like this, somebody who loves to talk about controversy, loves to stir something up, has some kind of bee in their bonnet or a hot-button issue. You don't want to be around that person. They'll taint you, stunt your spiritual growth, and that type of person typically is going to have the elders come and come and intervene and, and talk to them because they'll damage, they'll damage a church. All right? Um, Titus 2.15. All right, Paul is writing to Titus. And he says to Titus, who is a, like an elder, representative of an elder, he's apostolic representative, setting elders in the church. And um, he says to him, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now he's, he, he gives us the... Uh, the three things that we, we find in our first paragraph, to love one another, we're called to speak the truth into their lives in the form of exhortation, encouragement, and admonishment. So we, we speak truth from Scripture. We exhort them, encourage them to obey it, and if necessary, we reprove, we correct. Um, and uh, you don't let anyone disregard you. It's not, well, who do you think you are? Because your, your basis is Scripture. That's always your basis. I mean, if you're coming with some, some extra-biblical thing, then they can disregard you. But to the extent that they're speaking the Scripture to you, you have something that's not you saying it. You have something that both of you, like that example of that lady that I told you about who was 
on the pulpit committee, you have something that's outside of you and her, and you both have to submit to, and you both can look at it. How can you... I mean, I'm just saying what this says. If you can show me where I'm wrong, that this is what this says, then I'm happy to submit to it because this is our only authority. Um, all right, here's our last one. Titus 3, 10 and 11. All right, so this is reject a factious man after the first and second warning. And so um, somebody who is causing divisions in, in, the, in the church, somebody who may have a, um, like that other person we talked about, have a self-interest and they're, they like to wrangle over things. Um, so after the first and second warning, you can have a young believer uh, who's discovered truth, discovered something, and they're really amped up about it, and they just really like to talk about it, and and so they may be ignorant in what they're doing, or they may just be young, and and so you warn them, you, you come alongside, there's the graciousness here, so the first and second warning, but you're confirming, obviously, in that. So this is like the, the those who continue in sin, uh, rebuke before all. So you're rejecting a factious person who continues to be a factious person. Um, so this is not, hey, you disagreed with the pastor, you disagreed with something in the pulpit, and you just keep your mouth shut or you're out of the church. This is not that at all, obviously. So somebody who's factious, somebody who's creating a following or maybe attempting to uh, with, with a specific doctrine or truth or something about it, and they've, They've been warned, and then they're continuing in that. And then it gives their the, God's assessment of a person like that. Knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned, his actions, behavior, condemns him, no matter what protest um, that, that he gives. I think I've said this before, but... But you may not be privy to the, the circle of influence. Let's say you're in a church and something happens uh, to somebody across the sanctuary or outside of your Sunday school class, and you don't look like a nice person to you, and they smile, and maybe they, they're even really kind to you, and your first thought is, oh, why, why are they being disciplined? Where did they go? And I saw them, and, and then you kind of hear, oh, well, they were, they were causing trouble, and oh, it didn't seem like they were a troublemaker to me. Always temper those thoughts and remember that, that there are things that you don't know, that other people have dealt with. There are things that happen all the time that only the elders know about, and that's appropriate because you don't widen sin beyond the, the, the scope. There is an aspect of, of our sinfulness that it's a, it's, a, it's a biblical thing to cover that sin, not, not cover it up, but, but to... But to, but, to, but to keep it as, as tight as possible. That there are certain sins you don't even speak about. You know? it's, so, so there's this idea that, that you deal with sin in, in, as, as tight of a circle as, as, as possible, um, but as wide as a circle as necessary. So to the, the extent that, that it affects other people, now other people have to be, have to be brought in 
And so there's a lot of things that are dealt with that you don't know about. And now we're back to why it's important that the church that you're part of has qualified, a qualified eldership, and, and they're not about speaking their voice. They're, you're in a church that it's proven to you that, that the elders that are here meet the qualifications, they're wise, they're humble men that are there, and they only speak God's voice. That's the only voice that they have in their life and in others. And you now see how all those things go together. But, but guard yourself um, whenever you have, when you have that, that type of temptation. And, and you will. I mean, it's natural. I mean, you don't know the person. They, they look better. Um, you should also always remember, even if you're in the circle and you're dealing with somebody, let's say you know all the details. Maybe you're the one that had to bring it to the elders and you know, you've been involved in that process. Also remember... There's always things that you don't know that's going on in their heart. There are things cooking inside that you can't smell and you can't see. And they're telling you this. They're, they're, I mean, they're just, they're telling you that. They may not even be aware of it. Because that's what Paul says, right? I don't know of anything against myself. I mean, I'm clear as far as my conscience is concerned. He tells the Corinthians, it's a small thing for you to condemn me. Uh, I, I don't know of anything, but that doesn't equip me. I'll have to wait till the day when God reveals the motives of my heart. So I can't even know my own. You know? And so just remember that. What it looks like on the outside may not always be what's going on you know, beneath the, the surface. Um, but God knows. So trust Him and trust what His, what his Word says. You can read some of those others, but um, I think those are, those are ones we don't normally read, so they're important to go through. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would say, you obey to the extent of what you know. So I don't think you'd be held accountable for bearing somebody's burden that is related to Galatians 6.1 if you're not aware of it. And so it may not require the whole church to bear their burden. It may be a small group of people that are bearing their burden. So the accountability would be those, obviously, that you know about. And there will be some that will come before the church, and those are the ones I would think that you would be, you'd be accountable for. Um, but... We're all sinful, so you're, you'll have plenty of opportunity you know, to bear the, bear the burden. So I think the, the point there is, for the ones that you know about, you're helping restore this person. You're a spiritual one in that case. They're, they're, they have fallen into disrepair, and you're in specifically involved because you know or the elders have asked you. Um, and then, but your attitude in general is, I, I'm looking. I want to. I want to help bear burdens. This is the burden there it is not the general burden, but it's a burden specific to that sin. You know, in that case, um, and so that's what I think that you would be. You would be accountable. You know, for if you brought everything, 
where some, every person is out of order before the body as a whole, so the whole body could help bear the burden, then that would violate some of those other passages about keeping it you know, as, as tight as, you know, as necessary. Um, so how can you get involved in burden bearing and in the restoring process? I think that's where it comes into being a, um, a very active church member. You're in your Sunday school class, you're in people's lives, you're, you're doing some of the things that we'll talk about where, I mean, if you just come on Sunday and you sit on the pew, you're probably not going to have that privilege. If you, if you keep people here, but, but if you immerse in the church, you're going to already have that relational credibility where somebody's going to share with you. Uh, or you'll be in their life, and you'll be a secondary tier that they're going to be tapped, you know, to you know to help them in that you know, help them in that progress. Um, and if you really, really like that that kind of work, like that's where your heart is, um, you know, get involved in the biblical counseling process because that's what an advocate does. Um, people that aren't even uh, in your specific sphere, so a counselor is dealing with somebody, but they need an advocate to walk with them and help them. That, that's a burden bearer, you know, for sure. You don't have to be the counselor. You're just helping them get to the, do their homework and get to the process. So it's a great question. Any other question? Join our church. We'll throw you out if you get to this in, right? So how, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, um, I think that it's, it's, it's one of the many doctrines that you want to look at. I, I think the first thing that I would do... Uh, I had a lady come to me one time that had been visiting. It was an older couple. Um, they were here about six months, maybe seven she sets up an appointment with me, and she comes to me and says, um, her and her husband, she does all the talking, just, just sweet and, and very transparent, and just says, um, I got a question. Uh, we we want to join, but before we join, we've, we, we've noticed something. We've, we've noticed that, um, that you're an expositor. You exposit the word. You just say, you know, what Scripture says. And um, so, well, thank you. That, that's what I, I long to do. I mean, that, that's a compliment. Um, in the last church we were in, uh, there was a... The pastor there was an expositor. And we left there because he preached a doctrine that we didn't agree with. So we want to know, do you believe that doctrine, because if so, we don't want to join this church. And so I, I paused there for a minute, and um, I said, can I repeat to you what you just said to me? She said, well, sure. She said, you just said that you've been here six months, seven months, that, that we're expositional here, and that you said under the sermons, and you've recognized that I just say whatever the Bible says which means I'm saying what the Bible says, but you don't want to join a church because you have a specific doctrinal belief, 
and you left a church that that has a specific doctrinal belief that that person said what the Bible said. Do you see any problem, you know, with that? Um, and she said, "No, I, 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 I don't want to be someplace that you know believes this specific thing." So the first thing that I would do, you know, the big flag that I'm looking for is is it expositional? You know, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, because most of the time, a church that is committed to that either practices biblical church discipline or they're in the process of, of getting there. And that's fine, you know, they're working in that direction. But that number one, I think, is really, you know, really important. Um, but discerning, do they do it right? Do they do it well? Is there a sharp edge to it? Is the, the knife blade a little too dull? Um, that's, that's discernment and hard. Um, uh, but I would set up a meeting and ask, you know, um, and, uh, and talk through some of those things openly. Because it's a big decision. It's a big deal to put your family under the spiritual leadership of a body. You know, because it's not just the, the elders. I mean, they're, they're the primary voice, but it's a big deal. Um, so that's what I'm looking for, exposition. And then I'm not just list, looking, or do they say that? We, we, we are expository preaching, but can I see that they're actually doing that? Are the doctrines of the church, the documents that I'm reading, matching up? And if not, why not? Again, could be in the process. Um, and then I'm, I'm asking second, second questions, not first. It's like in a job interview. Um, you know how they, you know, they, they, they do. Can you give me an example? You said here in your resume that you are very organized. Can you give me an example you know, of how you exhibited organization in your, you know, in your last job? Um, so trying to ask questions that, that, that are practice-oriented, so the, the practice of a church will reveal whether they actually believe what they say, you know, they, they believe. So, but it's, yeah, it takes some care, and, and uh, that's a great question. Someone else? Yeah. Yeah, if you don't have membership, then you don't have a distinct defined body to, you know, to, to do the, the full discipline process. You know, so who are you accountable for? Who are you accountable to as a body? Who does the elders have responsibility? Who will they give an account for before the Lord? Um and so you, somebody who is an unbeliever, we'll get into this when we ask them the specific questions. We don't practice church of discipline on an unbeliever and discipline in the sense of, of, of saying, hey, the Bible says this, why aren't you doing it? Well, they're not doing it because they're an unbeliever. Well, don't expect a, an unbeliever to act like a believer. But you should expect a believer to act like an unbeliever. So this is where... I mean, we are sinners, right? I mean, we, we come to the church in sin. So somebody who's coming to the church and who's not professing Christ, I mean, the, none of this applies to them. I mean, you're proclaiming the word, you're, you're sharing the gospel with them, so you're not intervening in their life and calling them, going, why are you, why are you out uh, incongruent with the gospel? So that would be somebody who's just, who's just a, uh, you know, a sinner, if you will, or an unbeliever. Then there's an attender, Somebody who attends for a limited period of time, you're not going to do that either. 
I think somebody who's at a church for a long period of time attending, now you're pressing in going, you know, hey, brother, hey, sister, you've been around for a while. Uh, you know, the Bible would want you to, you know, to, to cast the, you know, the, the die here. Are you, are you in? Are you out? You know, because Scripture says you need elders to keep watch over your soul. You need other brothers and sisters. And, and some of the benefits of church membership are not available to you. I mean, it is a, it's a blessed privilege to have this applied to your soul, to your life. Like, this is not punishment. This is privilege. And, and you're not able to do that. So you can't do some of these things to somebody who's an attender. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't rebuke them. It doesn't mean that you, you wouldn't say go away if you're causing trouble in the church. It doesn't mean you wouldn't point out sin who's a, to somebody who is a, a professing Christian. I think you would still call anybody on that that... that that's coming into, you know, into your midst. Um, but the full-blown process, you know, an attender, I don't know if this is a good analogy, it's off the fly, you know, they get the, they get the bronze package, you know, you want the platinum uh, package, uh, you get that in membership. Um, so I don't want to say if you're just attending, you know, hey, your hand's off, it's nothing. You know. If you're a professing believer and there's another believer in your life, there's a certain level of responsibility you have as a, as a professing Christian because Christ's name's on the line, but you don't have the same covenant membership things like, like some of these that we're talking about. But, um, so those are kind of the three, 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 three stages, unbeliever, attender, and then member. And, um, you know, uh, membership is a privilege, and uh, it's some of the reasons why people don't join churches. They think that it will excuse them from these things. They don't want an authority over their soul. They don't want somebody else, you know, in there. I remember a lady telling me that she didn't want to join a church because, uh, you know, she didn't marry the church. And um, so she just, she didn't believe in it. So Most of the cases, like in that case, you know, she turned out there was a, you know, major sin manifested in her life. She left her husband and did all kinds of other things. She just doesn't want anybody authoritative over her life and doesn't want to, you know, connect herself to that authority at all. Other questions? That's all we'll get time to do today. Other than the questions, that's great. Last one. Yeah, I think that um, you know we'll talk about uh, how do you deal with somebody who's been disciplined out of the church. So there's somebody who's in sin who's been disciplined out of the church, meaning they've been they've been identified publicly. Um, you're not going to give them a dirty look or turn the other way on the street whenever you see them, but but it should be very clear we're not the same. We were once members and brothers, and things are different because you refuse to repent. So. In that case, somebody who's disciplined, under discipline, you're not like, hey, let's go get pizza in a movie. I mean, you know, like nothing's happened. But you're kind to them. They're, you know, as one person, they're evangelism project for you, for you now. I think Richard Carlos said that. So, so the point is there's a distinction, but you're still being kind. You're kind to, you know, to unbelievers. But then there are certain people, like that passage is talking about in Titus, they're, they're dangerous. Um, you know, they're... They're evil, and they may not even realize, 
you know, they're evil. They're targeting, you know, the church. And so one of the reasons that church discipline is a loving and necessary thing to do, we often think about the person who is being called out and we disregard the, the 99 sheep that are there that need protected, you know, and they need protected from this person. As I said before, the, the sheep really don't always know what's going on, you know, but, but the elders or somebody else does, and you're, you're charged to protect the, you know, the, the sheep. You wouldn't just let somebody come into your own family that you knew was, you know, a, you know whatever, and, and the family doesn't even know about that, and you bring them in, and then you leave them alone. Something bad happens. You know, so this person has proven that they're self-oriented and they're, they're probably speaking against the church or against the elders, against the word. That type of person, you know, you don't really have anything to do with that person. They're a dangerous person. So view them more as a danger, you know, than, than anything else. But even in that, I don't know that you have to be, you know, you're not nasty to them. It's just very clear. It's a bad thing here, bro. Not bro, bad thing here, fella. <laughs> so, yeah, good. All right. Well, we'll cover uh, the objections and some of these other things. Like I said, when we get to this, the the process, we'll we'll move pretty quickly through that because we've already already been over it. But get to the purposes, you know, and otherwise. So, let me pray for you, Father. We love you. I pray for these men. I pray for each of our hearts that you would keep us even to this day from being overwhelmed by sin, how dangerous it is, Lord, to reject counsel, how dangerous it is to, to just listen to the voice in our own head and our own heart. And I pray, Father, for, for myself and any other man here, if, if today or in general multiple voices are saying, this is a bad way to go, this is dangerous, and our own voice is saying, I don't understand why, or I don't want to do that. Help us yield to that chorus of voices saying, don't go this way. Uh, not to blow through those barriers. That we might end up in a position of being overtaken and fallen, um, devastated, broken spiritual bones. But I pray, Father, if any of us get into that, we would, we would have others that would love us enough to restore us and do it gently and kindly and clearly. And uh, we ask your blessing in all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.